to sleep on. Then I'll close my eyes before I go to sleep and then I'll see faces. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually recognised the faces. Like and then you wake up? No, 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 I'm, oh. I'm awake. I'm awake. When I first but as you're going into sleep? As I'm going into sleep and I'll see faces or sometimes often older periods of time. Mm -hmm. And then I see different faces and then I think, oh, who are you? Mm. But I, but I don't. No, and then sometimes, even if it doesn't look like them, I think, I might think, oh, is that you, Dad? Or my brother, Phil, that died or something. I think, oh, is that you? But it doesn't really look like them. Mm. You know, so sometimes you just lay there and you can, you know, there'll be activities or things mm. happening. And then it won't happen for ages, and mm. then it'll happen again. Mm. Yeah, that's, that can happen, for sure. I think I... Sometimes I see that too. I hear things. Actually, not long ago, I think maybe earlier in the year, I had two figures there. And they were like my angelic mother and father. I felt them as I was going into sleep. See, yeah. in that liminal state, this is really interesting because Yoga Nidra is taking you into a liminal zone called liminal because it's between states between waking and sleep, that is a very rich state for doing a lot of subconscious exploration, if you're into that thing. And the Tibetans are heavily into dream yoga. We can talk about that one time, when you're actually in the dream state, so you actually pass through and you are in dream state. Even there, you can do practices, consciously. You can do work. Even though you're actually asleep. Yeah, in the dream state, if it's lucid, and you've got enough awareness, you can direct uh, intention, and you can you can travel. You can you're not bound by anything physical, so you're actually in another dimension. I think it's like a different vibrational state where space and time are not relevant. It's when you have the flying dreams, that kind of stuff. But you can you're not limited to this plane. So and I actually have a lot of teachings come to me there in that state, because I'm quite a conscious dreamer now. And so you'll encounter like my, my teachers there, my gurus there. I have to spend time. Often it's if I go to sleep and I'm thinking I miss the, their physical presence on Earth now, and then they'll come anyways, because they're still there on another dimension. And, and, and you don't always remember what's said, but you know something, you've been instructed in something. So at some level you've absorbed that teaching and now we're applying it. So all of that, I mean, it's a very rich place to be. Most people, you know, have a few wines and knock themselves out. And not, I'm not, not picking on anyone here. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But you know, there's a, that's a loss. I mean, if you're gonna, if, I mean, how can I say this diplomatically? <laughs> Look, don't even don't try. Don't <laughs> we get it. <laughs> well, the point is that it's a, it, there is an opportunity there during sleep. If you want to, I mean, we can. I'd like to explore this a bit more because it's actually... So is it the same? The other, it's happened to me occasionally, probably a lot, but only times that I'm aware of it. I'll drift off to sleep and I see lots of faces and activity mm -hmm. and then I wake up. What do you mean you wake up? Well, I've, I've come... I've you come out of sleep. I come out of sleep. 
But you haven't had a night's sleep. No, no, it's just the very yeah. start of yeah, my yeah. sleep. I, I, oh, what was that? Yeah, yeah. And I've seen all this movement and faces. Exactly. But I've woken up again. Yeah, but that's okay. So you, you went into a liminal state and then you came out of it. Whereas you could go through it and then into sleep. No, I came out of it, then I went back. Yeah, to but sleep. you could if you. Well, that's what I tend to do. Yeah, it wakes well, you I'm up. Right. But wake, well, yeah, it, well, I'm not. I'm not in a deep sleep. But then you'll see the faces mm-hmm. or Movement. whatever, and and, 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 and you get a sense that it might be somebody, but may not because it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. look like them yeah. or whatever. But, but there's, there's loads of activity. A lot this, of yeah. stuff happening in the liminal. See, so, and in the yoga nidra state, that's where all that is is accessible. And the be- the difference with yoga nidra is once you get good at it. You can spend a lot of time in that state and you can actually start to converse and interact and ask these questions. Like, is that... Who are you? Yeah. Or what are you trying to show me? Or whatever it is. Yeah. So what, what you're encountering is just, you're getting it in an accidental way, yeah. in passing, en passant, you know? But, um... And it can't be harmful in any way? No. Or stir up No, no, no. I don't think so because the beauty of yoga nidra is, in fact, it's used by the military now. In America, they call it the IREST program, which the soldiers what are do using. IREST. Oh, IREST. Yeah. And um, but it's basically just yoga nidra. It's exactly what it is, but they can't call it that because it's a bit too eastern. So it was some psychologist that had studied yoga, apparently, presumably. And it adapted this for the use with the post-trauma returning veteran. They talk about that in that book, The Portal, was the movie that I Right. So what you're doing with that technique and why it is safe is because if you were going to take someone into that traumatic experience, you know, in the waking state, then they can get re-traumatised. That's what re-victimisation is. Even when rape victims have to give evidence in court, you know, they experience the whole thing again. But with yoga nidra, the difference is that you're actually in a state of emotional detachment. So you can be shown it, but it won't have the impact on you that it would if it was more consciously encountered. And so yoga nidra is actually a very safe way to, to resolve issues that need to be resolved. So it brings it up and then releases it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to bring it up again, but the best, the, the way you want to bring it up is in a safe, sort of neutral way, where you're watching it as if it's a movie. Because you know, when you're seeing these images, you're not really in any emotional state, you're just watching them like a projection. And you're curious, because the waking mind's saying, or the what's left of the awareness is saying, who are you? So there's enough present awareness to notice that it is a phenomenon that you're observing, but because we don't have the insight or the engagement with them yet on any real level, it remains a bit of a, a fiction. Yeah, it's fictional, sort of, it doesn't have much meaning. But you sometimes intuition will cut in and you'll know what it is, like the angel, mother and father thing. It's a bit like meditation, when you're sort of in meditation or you can or the words, you know, when your voice starts to chatter, mm-hmm. and then you just think, oh, that's words, and it's just an observation, and then you let it pass. Right. Is it the same sort of thing? Yes and no. It's the same in the sense that there's detachment there, 
But in meditation, there's, more, there's still more conscious awareness. It's not really liminal, strictly between states. It is a state of its own. Whereas the liminal state is between. It's like the, it's a transitional zone. It's really hard to say this in human language, but... It's sort of like a dream world. It's sort of like the dream time that the Aborigines talk about. It's a creation space. Right? But it's something that we're not familiar with, so we don't know what to do with it. Until we become practitioners and we explore it. But I would encourage you to explore it because it's um, very powerful. And it's a good use of your time too. If you're going to be asleep, you may as well be doing some work. You know, you get rest as well. But, you know, and the other thing is that you can bring it about through intention, which is really the way in with all these sort of techniques when you're exploring these states. <coughs> it's the trajectory that you set the, the mind into before you enter the state that determines in some respects what the experience will be. So if you go to sleep and as you're going to sleep, and you're in a very relaxed state, you say something like, um, you know, I want to be shown. Whatever. Yeah. X. Whatever it is that you're trying to solve. If it's a problem you're trying to solve, or if it's uh, something about yourself, or a situation that you don't understand, or if you just want some general guidance. You may not, not even know how to phrase the question. You just say, show me some... I mean, what, I, what, what is the most important thing I should be working on now? Anything like that. You, know, it's, you have to let your own intuition guide you as to what it is that you think. Or, or you can just say, you know, let's go exploring. Keep it open-ended. It doesn't have to be directed to any objective. It's really, it's really um, valuable. It's very valid. It's all part of self-knowledge, knowing the self at the deeper level. <clears throat> because see, the trap when we're talking about it here is that we've got a lot of conscious mind interfering with the process, which is why we can't see those faces right now. They're probably there. I mean, when we talk about feeling beings in the room, I'm sure they're around. But because we've got so much conscious activity going on, we're blocking the perception of that. Whereas when you're going into the liminal state, you remove that barrier. You're removing the, the filtering mind, the doubting mind, the thing that's saying, well, that can't be true because there's no rational explanation for it. But this is not rational, this is supra-rational. It's beyond, well, beyond rationality. I don't know what state he's in. I'd say he's deep sleep. They dream as well, don't they? Yeah, it's fun. It's a real journey, this thing, when you get onto it. It's like life becomes exciting again. You might have the most dull and boring daytime life, <laughs> but you know, your, your dream possibilities are endless. 
You can be anything. Go anywhere. My teacher used to say, you know, there are other planets, other worlds. I've been there. He would describe. I don't think he was making it up. I mean, what I think is, this is the real um, dilemma for us. Is that we, we are in an embodiment and we're at a certain vibrational state on this physical plane. There's no denying that. The power of that illusion is so overwhelming that it's very hard to have a conversation with anyone that is within that materialist frame about anything other than this. Because this is so apparently real. Right? But the moment you start to have your own experiences of other subtler states, that are beyond this and you have them frequently enough and other people will corroborate them because they've had similar things, you start to think, wait a minute, there's more going on here. And that's when you start to experience yourself as multidimensional, which is what really I think we are. You know, and uh, I don't know if I did that thing where if you look at a, if you look, I think we did talk about this, if you look at, uh, a line from the top, it's a point. But when you rotate it 90 degrees, you see that it's a line, so now you've gone from one dimension to two dimensions. Right? And then if you turn it sideways, it could be the edge of a piece of paper. It's not really a line at all. Suddenly it's become, well, that's two dimensional length and width. And then if you rotate the piece of paper, it could be the edge of a cube. So it's actually three dimensional. So you see, by changing your perspective, you see that there are multiple dimensions to things that are apparently only or fewer dimensions than what, what they really are. And then a cube might be, um, you see a picture of a cube, but it's only a snapshot in time. But if you add time as the fourth dimension and take multiple snapshots of the cube moving, if you could animate it effectively, then you're adding a fourth dimension. So you're seeing it at a, at a higher level still. You see what I'm saying? So we're actually doing the other, we're doing the opposite. Most of the Western philosophical thinking can be quite reductionist. So it's limiting back down to what we can prove. Whereas I think what our processes are is the opposite of whatever reductionist, expansionist, I suppose you would say. Is where we're looking, trying to look more and more at the totality of things. Yes, we're still bound by the mind to a large degree and how we're going to, uh, or the senses and how we're going to encounter that, interpret it. But then that's why we have teachers that, you know, have been to these other dimensions, so to speak, and can come back and give us some guidance and give us insight into new ways of perceiving reality. And once that starts to happen, you start to wake up to stuff and you start to see that there's more in everything. And ultimately you'll see that it's everything's just one anyway. But in the, in the, in the frame of the individual that's just looking at one dimension, None of that makes sense, and in fact would seem impossible. I mean, when you're looking at a line and not seeing that it's the edge of a piece of paper, and someone tried to tell you that, you'd say, well, that's not my experience. How could I accept that? But then you turn the page and turn it, and then they see it, and then no explanation is necessary. See? But, so just start to think of yourself as a multi-dimensional being, and I mean, I've just talked about four dimensions, and there's a fifth dimension, sixth dimension, seventh dimension, where we've got other sort of like, 
I don't even know. I think language starts to break down. So language is still stuck in a very like three-dimensional kind of world, four-dimensional world. But when we try and use language to talk about things that are beyond space and time, you can see straight away that we get, we get stuck because our whole language has evolved within a four-dimensional, three-dimensional space. I can talk about past and present, and we get that because within this realm, this dimension, time appears to be linear, doesn't it? But if you look at it from a quantum viewpoint, which is in a higher dimension than this, time can move back and forward. You can move backwards as well as forwards. Bi-directional, and then Einstein would say, well, time doesn't even it really exist. It's just an artifact. And Eckhart Tolle talks about we've only ever got now. Exactly. But within now, there's everything. Yeah. But there might also be past and present within the now. But they're just other nows. You know, the other nows that are coexisting with this now that we can access through a, tra a trail, like photographs or something, that prove that there might have been a previous now to now. Mm -hmm. But the photograph of the prior event can only be perceived in the now. Mm -hmm. so, so any way you cut it, you always come back to now. Even the thought of the future it must only be experienced in the now. Yeah. So in that respect, there can't be anything other than now. The rest is just a concept. And so this is what Einstein's getting at, this, this thing of time is conceptual. But if you move into a plane of existence that's beyond concept, then it must follow that the, there's no such thing as time either. Which is why you get to this the nonsensical point about they can track the age of the universe to about, what is it, 14 billion years? And then people go, well, what was, what was before then? And the answer is, according to the theorists, would be, well, there was no before, because time was actually came into being at the same time, time as the universe came into being. Space and time were created with creation. So there was not actually, see, this is very hard for the mind to get, because again, our whole concept has evolved within a three-dimensional world in which there is space and time. But if, if, if we say, well, that's only one fragment of the totality of things, then it's possible to conceive of other universes where time is different to this, the laws of physics are not the same, but in this analysis of what came before the Big Bang, their argument is that um, as the universe grew from a point, and in the Sanskrit it's a bindu, you know, when they wear the dot here, the bindu, everything becomes in the center of the Om, Om is a Bindu. Everything goes back to a point, but what's before the point? And then there's just nothing. But, there, but the fear wants the state of Shiva, it's the state of pure potentiality prior to creation. So in that pregnant moment, before anything came, everything that exists now existed in a state of pure, just of potentiality, like a seed contains a tree but it's in a potential form, hasn't yet begun to manifest. So therefore, when the universe started to expand, space started to come into being so that it could make room for the universe to expand into. You see, it's like a bootstrapping exercise where the universe is lifting itself up by its own bootstrap. Then time's being created at the same time. Right? So space and time are being created as the universe created. But if you go backwards before the universe, 
They say there's no such things. There couldn't be space or time. Something had to be there originally. If well, I, I, I can sort of think about it, and I can get a bit of that concept about the we've only got now. Mm -hmm. But you know, you go back to the Big Bang. Well, what created the Big Bang? How far back do you go? Like I can't. I just can't fathom. Right. At all. No, we can't because we're trying to use an apparatus that was designed within the realm of space and time to contemplate something beyond space and time and it doesn't work. And so the way the yogis do it is they leave the mind behind and they go you know, into a direct knowing, cognition. That's where all the mantras were discovered, by direct cognition, right? So they just, how do you say this? Sometimes you know something, but there's no reason why you should know it. It just is a knowing without cause. So the, so the idea is, I'm going to run out of battery in a minute, but when we do, we'll just leave it there. But the idea is, according to the yogis, that all knowledge, everything is already there in the Akasha. The Akasha is the cosmic space. Right? So you can imagine consciousness is occupying everything. It already encodes all of into all the information that can ever ever was, ever is and ever will be is already there, encoded in consciousness. And all ideas, all knowledge, everything is already there. And so when we have thought, they even say even thought is within Akasha. We're not actually having the thought, we're tuning into the thought that's already there. So the mind is not, if I, the brain's not creating the thought, the brain's tuning into thoughts. Yeah. Well, how, how do we choose which thoughts to, that we grab onto or which ones we let down? Well, that's where intention comes in. See, intention's not quite the same as thought. There's an energy around intention so that we can direct mind to determine which thought sphere we want to be present in. So if we're in a positive state, a mind, emotional state, think then we attune to the, that part of consciousness which is in, which isn't that's the law of attraction this is the corresponding vibrational state to the state which we hold in ourselves is the state that we will manifest and that we will encounter and so if our mind our vibrational state is one of poverty we'll attract poverty if it's one of love we attract love whatever and this is why we are the co-creators of the universe we are architecting reality, each of us, through the choices that we make, where we choose to hold consciousness and the, the vibrational state that we maintain. Right? And so if you want a perfect life, this is the big paradox, is that we don't go and try and create it out there, we create it here, and then it has to happen out there. Always comes back to ourself, doesn't it? There is no other. There's nothing else out. There's nothing out there. This is just self talking to self. There is no other. There is no out. Prakashananda used to say, in, out, same. He's the one there, Prakashananda. So he was the, he was a saint. He was a realized being, but he was a student of my teacher but he became realized himself. And he was very pragmatic about these things. And he'd say, he didn't speak much English, 
But he's saying in out same. There's no in his state there's no distinction. This is just a projection. Don't you sense that as we're talking about? Don't you feel the unreality of this situation? I mean, it's a beautiful movie. It's fantastic, but it is just a construct. And don't forget also, I mean, we're only sensing what our senses can tell us, which are, again have been evolved to operate within a physical world. So there was no need for us to develop super hearing like a dog because that's not our, that's not, that doesn't contribute to our survival. So therefore, you know, and we don't have the sight of an insect that we can't see ultraviolet. So all, even our senses are very narrowed down to that which is immediately relevant for our survival. But if we could expand our sight, expand our hearing, expand our capacity to um, influence material objects, then we start to move into the realm of so-called yogic superpowers, the cities, which are all available to us. But you have to... Um, there are certain techniques and things. If you want to cultivate them, you can. But in that, there's a trap as well, because if the ego is involved, then you can see straight away what the trap is, that instead of the, your emphasis being on you know, knowing self, God-realisation or whatever, it's just like, what... How can I levitate that thing? You know, and there are guys in India, there are lots of yogis around that can have that will demonstrate powers. But um, the, the classical yogis will always look down on that. They say that's not a appropriate use. Yeah, you can do it, but that's not where your effort should be going. It's a bit of a side track. So the main effort should just be the self-accurate self accurate. Self-knowledge, self-realization. Yeah. That's where the real work. I mean, the powers come and go. They can come and go. I mean, you'll find already things, little things happening more, like intuition sharpening up, predictive powers. I don't know if you're getting stuff like that. Knowing another's mind more. That happens, but it's not. You know, you enjoy it, but you don't hang on to it because they come and go. Not the main game. It's the flowers along the side of the road, and you can enjoy them and then just move on, stay on the path. Okay, so that's a little bit of uh, preview insight. But it is fantastic. I mean, once you get on this treadmill, this this path, you can't even be you can't be bored. Even if you're sitting at the bus stop, you're doing a mantra or something, you know that stuff's starting to happen. You know, you, don't you notice that you've developed a lot more patience with things? Because you're used to just sitting there doing nothing, waiting for nothing to happen. So you've got to be patient to meditate. I think the reason a lot of people say they can't meditate is because they lack patience more than anything. They're not prepared to wait out the thoughts. Sometimes you've got to wait them out, don't you? If you can't fight them off, the next best thing is just wait them out. And I'll, if you're not giving them any attention, I'll get sick of you and go somewhere else. And then you're left with the silence. So it's a great technique. It's like my friend Dave McClure used to say, I think, citing Sun Tzu. 
if you wait long enough you'll see the bodies of your enemies floating down the river they don't have to try and fight every battle because you know eventually time will time will take care of everything so it's in the same way time will take care of the thoughts too if you wait long enough if you don't have a good technique the next best thing is just to wait so we'll do that in a minute outweigh the thoughts yeah it's fun I mean you can read about this stuff I, mean, I really love all this stuff I don't know if it really means anything ultimately it's just another way of understanding but even these things are still thoughts they're still concepts in the end you've got to let that, that this go as well you've got to let go of everything in the end you've got to be prepared to let go if you want to have everything you've got to be prepared to let go of everything that you think you are all these will pass hmm, because everything that you think you are is temporary the only thing that is not temporary is the essential I am and that that can't ever go can't be taken from you even if they kill you it'll still be the consciousness will still have the sense of being body might die mind might go insane you might get dementia but I think there's still the I am is there so if that's the most valuable thing and it can't be taken away you can relax all the pressure's off sure it'd be nice to have a comfortable life and food on the table and all the rest of it but if you know that deep down that um, the most fundamental part of who you are is unassailable 